Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord for that. To rescue a sinner like me. How many feel like that this morning? Amen. Let's stand and take our Bibles. John chapter 14. John chapter 14. As the orchestra kind of makes their way back to the pews. Let's stand and take our Bibles. John chapter 14, verse 1. If your neighbor doesn't have a Bible, please be kind enough to share your Bible with them and help them find their place this morning. We will be entirely in John chapter 14 this morning. John chapter 14. If you're a first-time guest and visitor, we're delighted you're here. Thank you for being here this morning. We pray that you'll find the church friendly and a place away from home. And uh, we trust this morning that the Lord will do a great, great work in your heart. ask that you be back tonight at 515 for our evening service. It's a totally different service from this one. And uh, Pastor Knutson will be preaching tonight. I'm looking forward to that. He'll be a challenge to each of us. And uh, I'd like you to be there for that. I'd like to ask that you remember Mrs. Shirley Taddy Arkin prayer this morning. She's having a lot, a lot of challenges this week with her asthma and had to get hospitalized again last night. And so you pray for her, if you would, please. John chapter 14, verse 1. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. And whither I go, you know, and the way you know. Thomas saith unto the Lord, Lord, we know not whither thou goest, and how can we know the way? And Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. If ye had known me, ye should have known my Father also. And from henceforth ye know him, and have seen him. Philip saith unto him, Lord, show us the Father, and it sufficeth us. And Jesus said unto him, Have I been so long time with you, and yet hast thou not known me, Philip? He that has seen me has seen the Father. And how sayest thou then, show us the Father? Believest thou not that I am in the Father, and the Father in me? The words that I speak unto you, I speak not of myself. But the Father that dwelleth in me, he doeth the works. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father in me, or else believe me for the very work's sake. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me, the works that I do shall he do also, and greater works than these shall he do, because I go unto my Father. And whatsoever you shall ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. So many wonderful things in these 14 verses we've read, and really you have to pull the whole chapter together. Verse 1 is a wonderful, wonderful thought, going to verse 2. Chapter 14, verse 6 is a great doctrinal statement about Jesus Christ, a very convicting statement that Jesus made to Philip in verse 9. He said, have I been so long time with you, yet hast thou not known me, Philip? And I imagine if you could just imagine Jesus saying that to you and me and switching out Philip's name with your name and my name. And then in verse 12, you notice he makes a great statement here, which is kind of the, the, the focal point of our message this morning as we are dealing with uh, the subject of faith and believing God. Jesus said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me, the works that I do, shall he do also. My prayer this morning that the Lord would work in our hearts and thinking about the works that Jesus Christ did, our ability to do similar works. And then he said, and greater works than these shall he do, because I go unto my Father. 
I want to preach a message this morning as we revolve our thoughts around believing in faith, the secret to greater works. I pray the Lord would work in your heart and mind this morning as we prayed over the message this week. And praying over God that his presence and power would be very mighty upon our lives. Now, Father, today we've been blessed by what our eyes have seen and our ears have heard. As the choir, as the orchestra was playing for just a moment ago to rescue a sinner like me, I thoughts went back to December 4th, 1971. God, you saved this poor old sinner. Thank you, Lord, that moment of time when I realized I needed to humble myself and call upon Christ to save me. I'm certain that every single person here this morning who saved and born again thought back to that moment in time when they called on Christ to be their Savior. And Lord, you know this morning there's so many wonderful truths that are found in this passage of Scripture and, of course, throughout all the Bible. And I pray that you'll help us as we humble ourselves to you today, that the Spirit of God would give understanding and give wisdom. I pray you'd prick our hearts. I pray, Father, you turn us from unbelief to belief. God, I pray you would move us from a place of hardened hearts to softness and meekness and tenderness. And we pray this morning for those here today who do not have that certainty about knowing for sure if they're going to heaven, that before they leave this service this morning, that they will get that certainty. I pray for brothers and sisters and others today who are struggling in the area of just uh, of where there's unrest and trouble in their hearts, that they find that Jesus Christ is the answer. And for all of us, dear Lord, who want, want to do more for Christ of realizing the secret to greater works. Oh, Spirit of God, we pray that you give understanding. Take away the scales from our eyes. Open our eyes. Behold wondrous things out of your law today. And Lord, may you just guide us and direct us and help us today. Speak to our hearts. We'll thank you for what you'll do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. We've been on an emphasis, a preaching theme on Sunday mornings on believing Caleb said in Numbers 1330, we are well able to possess the land. He was telling the nation of Israel, his peers, he was saying, I believe and we believe God can help us. And we've been talking about the importance of believing. We've talked about the importance of starting the belief faith, the, the belief, the belief trail. Maybe some this morning, the starting point for you is many this last several days, they started the belief process by putting their faith and trust in Jesus Christ as Savior. We've spoken about the importance of that we need to keep believing. We need to constantly put our emphasis on believing on the Lord. And this morning, my emphasis and, and encouragement to us is that we don't stop believing. Notice, if you would, in the, in the Gospel of John, that the Gospel of John is a book that makes a strong emphasize, emphasis on believing 85 times the word believe believe or believing is found in the gospel of john in fact of all the verses in the bible we find that the gospel of john records the word believe more than any other time in this chapter alone we're going to find the word believe or believe us seven different times and it's not the it's not the most number of times in the gospel of john there are other chapters where we find as many as 10 to 12 times a key thought we find in the Gospel of John is John chapter 20, verse 31. And uh, the Apostle John wrote this, But these are written that ye might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you might have life through His name. This morning we're looking at a subject where believing needs to be just drilled a little bit deeper into your heart and mind. We talk about believing, but we must learn how to exercise belief. And where believing in faith is an integral part of serving Christ and glorifying Him. I want you to join me this morning as we look at the subject matter, the secret to greater works. Notice three things very quickly about this passage of Scripture. Number one, which you notice in verse one, are, it's, we can attain greater works. We can see how faith works 
works in our life through a peaceful serenity. Notice in verse 1, the background to this chapter. In verse 1, Jesus, leading into John chapter 14, Jesus is in the upper room with his disciples. In that upper room, the last supper would be commenced. The Lord Jesus Christ would give instructions concerning what we call the Lord's table. In that upper room, Jesus would spend time. We have the record of this in John 13 through chapter 17. We have the record of Jesus' instruction to his disciples. It was a heart-to-heart talk. It was a fireside chat time. It was a time when the Lord was getting them ready. And he spoke some things to them that were somewhat uh, disturbing and things to them that caused them great consternation. You notice in chapter 13, Jesus made this statement in verse 30. Little children, yet a little while I am with you. He was saying, I'm not going to be here much longer. My time of departure is coming. He said, you shall seek me as I send into the Jews. And wherever I go, you cannot come. So now I say unto you. Jesus said he was going away. He was talking about the fact that he would be crucified on the cross for the sins of the world. The disciples, though they knew that, they had a hard time struggling with the thought, a little time, I'm here with you just a little while, and then I'm gone. And after I'm gone, you must understand the baton is going to be passed to you and they couldn't get their arms wrapped around the and their minds wrapped around the fact jesus was going away you know what i'm talking about here when you're with a loved one you've spent your lifetime with them the thought of them going away bothers you i remember years ago when i was a a little kid that uh I, uh, one of my cousins invited me to spend an entire summer with them, and, and uh, we just had a great time. I learned how to go swimming that summer, and a number of things like that. We just had a great time there. And then summer was coming to conclusion. They brought me back home and had to say goodbye, and I have to be real honest with you. I felt like that was my, that became my family there for a whole summer there, and I just was there, and we had such a great time, and tears were coming down my eyes as I was saying goodbye to them, and, and thinking about it. Man, I just don't want to even think about the fact they're leaving. And sometimes we're around loved ones, and we know that the time of their departures at hand, there's a, there's just a, a, a hollowness in our heart and an emptiness in our soul knowing that they're going away. And that's how the disciples were feeling at that moment of time. When Jesus said he was going away, there was unrest in their heart. They were troubled. Notice chapter 14, verse 1. Jesus makes this statement. He says, let not your heart be troubled. He knew that there was a lack of peace. He knew there was a lack of uh, serenity and rest in their hearts. And he says to them, let not your heart be troubled. The word for troubled means agitation. Let not your heart be agitated. Let not your heart be filled with anxiety. Let not your heart be filled with trouble. Let not your heart be filled with fear. Jesus said, let not your heart be troubled. The very first thing Christ will speak to us about in this matter of faith and believing deals with the area of peacefulness in our heart. Why is it that we have trouble? Well, what you notice this morning, there's the earthly reality. The earthly reality, Jesus is saying in chapter 14, verse 1, is our hearts will be troubled. Now, there are many sources of those troubles. One of those sources of troubles I think about this morning are unsettled reasons. There's the unsettling in our heart. How many of us this week felt trouble in our heart and disturbance in our soul as we read the news as it started to unfold there down at a high school there in Florida where a, a, a deranged young man who had become a loner and disgruntled about a number of things came into the school and with a with an automatic semi-automatic weapon started shooting away and took out teachers and, and, and fellow classmates and as far as we know a total of 17 were killed that moment. I mean I'm talking about teachers who kissed their wives or their husbands uh, goodbye that morning not thinking that would be their last day on planet earth. I think about the testimony of one father who said, I don't even remember if I kissed my daughter this morning and told her, I love you. And parents who woke up that morning thinking, man, I'm looking forward to just getting through the day. 
My children coming back home and getting the horrifying news that their children were taken out of this life by a, by a deranged gunman. And regardless of what you think about gun rights and all that, it's not about gun rights advocates or anything like that. What I'm saying this morning is the unsettledness that goes on. You know, we live in a world where there's much trouble. We live in a world where there's much unsettledness. And you know, when unsettledness comes, it grips our heart. It turns our world upside down. And for some of us, our world is never the same. There's the unsettling that comes from trouble. Notice there are the insecurities. Insecurities from trouble. Everyone has insecurities that are troubling. Everyone has fears and everyone has worries. Some of us have fears about our future. Some of us have fears about our family situation. Some of us have fears about our health. You know, the Bible tells us in Job chapter 14, verse 1, man that is born of woman is a few days and our lives are full of trouble. You know, it's a great thing to be a young person because your parents insulate you from a lot of trouble. The worst that you have is probably just staying late up at night and getting ready to study for a final or working on a project or something like that nature. But when you turn 18 and become an adult, you realize you enter into a world where life is filled with troubles. Things don't get better. Things wind up getting worse. There's just trouble along the way. There's insecurities we have because of those things. We're insecure about our finances. We're insecure about our lack of preparation. We bring childhood insecurities with us into our adulthood. And we have insecurities about decision making. And sometimes we can't decide A or B. I mean, that's just the reality of what happens with a lot of us. In Psalms 38, 6, David said, I am troubled. I am bowed down greatly. I go mourning all the day long. There's the unsettledness. There's the insecurities. But then would you notice the uncertainties? Look again at chapter 14, verse 1. Jesus said, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. And then he talked about the Father's house. You see this morning, the greatest uncertainty facing everyone in this room today. The greatest uncertainty we face, something we don't want to talk about, something we try to, we try to put behind us, is the very fact of this. Where will I spend eternity when I die? When will I die? Where will I spend eternity? Will I go to heaven or will I go to hell? Where will I spend eternity? What will happen? How can I know for sure I'm going to heaven? You see, the Bible, Jesus said later on in John 16, 33, These things have I spoken unto me, that in me you might have peace. In the world you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. I'm just saying this morning, as we consider the grass for peaceful serenity, there's the earthly reality. But notice in verse 1, Jesus speaks to us about the essential resolution. Listen, we've got to come to a place of realizing trouble is not going to go away. Job said, man that is born of a woman, his days are few and full of trouble. We have to realize trouble will not go away. Sorrow will not vanish away in this life. Heartache will not go away in this life. Trouble and tribulation will not go away. But praise the Lord this morning, there is a resolution we can make. And in verse 1, this is what Jesus said. He said, let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. We must resolve that in spite of storms and troubles in life, that we will put our faith in God's power and God's presence for our life. Charles Spurgeon said this. He said, if you have little trouble, you'll have little faith. But if you have great faith, you must expect to have great trouble. Now this morning, my heart for you is not that you have more trouble. My heart for you is that you have, that you not have more difficulties. My heart for you is that you discover the peace that is found in God's son, Jesus Christ. He said this, and you believe in God, believe also me. The Jews believed in God. 
They believed in the God of the Old Testament, but Jesus is trying to draw them into a personal relationship with Him. You see, friend, this morning, every, many people believe in God. But I remind you today, the demons also believe and they tremble. But the, de- the demons will spend all of eternity in, in hell apart from God because they cannot have a saving faith in Jesus Christ, God's Son. It's not enough just to believe in God. You must also believe that Jesus is God, that He was the Son of God who came to earth to die for your sins and mine. He became the eternal satisfaction for all of our sins. He took your place and mine as the only perfect substitute. He is the sacrifice for all sins. The essential resolution this morning is not by going to self-help class. It's not by going to Alcoholics Anonymous. It's not by becoming part of some organization. It's not by even becoming a member of the church. The essential resolution this morning we must come to is very simple. That resolution is we must believe in Jesus Christ this morning. That believe in faith is the secret to God, to helping us get the peace God wants us to have. Notice, first of all, we must believe in His presence when we're in trouble. Hebrews 13.5 says this, Let your conversation be without covetousness, and be content with such things as you have. For He has said, I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee. So that we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper, I will not fear what man shall do unto me. Oh, would you grasp that this morning? We must believe that the Lord's presence is with us. Aren't those great thoughts this morning? God, Jesus said, I will never leave you, nor forsake you. You know, the greatest thought that can, that can cause, to send us in turmoil, is to have a loved one say, I'm going to leave you and never come back. I'm thankful today, Jesus is my loved one who will never leave me and never say a statement like that. And the very fact that he says here in Hebrews 13, 6, we can say the Lord is my helper. The word helper is the word ezer. Ezer is a wonderful word. The first time it's mentioned is over in Genesis chapter 2, when God tells Adam, I'm going to make you a helpmate. He said, I'm going to make an ezer for you. An ezer means this, someone who comes right along alongside of you and will be there for you and will never leave you and someone who's going to fill in the gaps in your life and someone's going to compensate for your weaknesses and someone's going to be the strength where you're where you're weak and someone when their strength they're going to pull you up that person's there and when you add the name Eli to it we get the word Eliezer Eliezer means God is my helper okay listen this morning the greatest soul we can come away today from this service at Heritage Baptist Church God is our helper he's there thick and thin for you and I, no matter what it may be. I think of something else this morning. Not only should we believe in the fact that His presence is with us when we're in trouble, but we can believe in His promises when we're in trouble. Consider with me Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 to 30. Jesus spoke this to these disciples, and as He spoke it to them, He gave great comfort to them. He said, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Can you imagine the picture there? The pictures of a man who's bent over with the great weight of sin, the great weight of burdens on his life, and he's feeling this weight just holding him down and he's feeling like it's hard to make another step and he's bending over this man is bent over with these weights and difficulties when jesus gives an invitation he says come unto me all you that labor and are heavy laden and i will give you rest he says take my yoke upon you a yoke was a harness that was put between two, two, two oxen to enable them to stay in the same place. But it was a very heavy thing. A human being could not wear a yoke very long without it, the person crumbling under its weight. And Jesus is telling us in verse 29 that he will make an exchange with us. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest unto your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Oh, listen, when we're in trouble, we can believe in his presence. And when we're in trouble, we can believe in his promises. The 
stories told of a ship that was out in the open seas and it was a kind of a ship that had some passengers on it and they were out in the seas and a storm came. And if you know anything about being on the waters when a storm comes, you never know exactly how difficult those storms may be and your fate really is in the hands of the captain of that ship. And this particular storm, the waves were very high and the winds were very boisterous and the ship was going up and down and up and down on the waters to a place where beyond sea sickness, people were very fearful for the lives. And they told all the passengers, get all the way down into the bottom there in the galley. We want you there in the galley to protect yourselves. Do not come up to the top where the captain is. Do not even venture up there because it could be very dangerous. The wave might move you some way. You might hit against the wall and injure yourself. And the passengers, of course, were very fearful for their life. None of them had ever gone through an experience like that. But one passenger wanted to find out what was going on. He wanted to know for sure, does the captain know what he's doing? He wanted to know for sure, does the captain, can the captain navigate us out of the storm? And that passenger made his way up in spite of the, in spite of the fact that a rule had been established that he wasn't supposed to come up. And he made his way up and the captain's holding on to the wheel of the ship, making sure it's, it's going the right direction. And as the man got up there into that, to that place where the captain was, the captain turned around and saw him, and he saw the captain. And the captain just kind of got a smile on his face. He looked at him and gave him what I would call a reassuring smile. And he saw the smile on the captain's face. Without asking a word, the passenger made his way all the way back down to the galley where the other passengers were. And they were fearful, wondering, are we going to be okay? Are we going to make it? And that man who went up there to the top to see the captain, he came on down and he said to those other passengers, Listen, I've seen the face of the captain and I've seen his smile and all is well. And I'm going to remind you this morning, you can look in the face of Jesus Christ as you read the scriptures. And I'm going to promise you this morning, all is well with our Savior, Jesus Christ. You can look in full in his wonderful face and see the smile of Jesus Christ and know this morning that all is well. Faith in Jesus makes available for us his peaceful serenity. I wonder this morning, is your heart in turmoil? Is your life upside down? Are you wondering... What's it all going to come to? May I say this morning, Jesus offers us this wonderful assurance. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also me. We can have faith in having a peaceful serenity. But notice number two, if you would, very quickly, we see a second thing that the Lord gives us through faith. And that brings us down to verse 12, if you would, this morning. Notice, first of all, the Lord, by faith, gives us a peaceful serenity. But notice, by faith, the Lord also gives us a profitable service. Now, as we go from verse 7 down to verse 14 and 15, the Lord gives us as servants of God, as children of the living God, He gives us some wonderful, powerful, and relevant instruction this morning about how you and I could have service that is profitable. This past week, I was invited to go down to Golden State Baptist College down down about 40 minutes from here and, and to uh, uh, to teach uh, the master's program and teach a church ed class, a bunch of preacher boys there and, and to address chapel. And what a great spirit there at Golden State Baptist College. I'm very thankful for the new president they've had there for the last two years, just doing a great job representing Brother Treber there. And, and I just felt a great liberty to preach and teach there. And, and one of the classes I was teaching, I was talking to them about the model staff member and talking about the fact of just serving God. And, and I told them something like, this. I said, young man, I said, one of the things that you find about being here in Bible college, you're here because you want to serve the Lord. You want to do something for God. But I said, I want to remind you, you need to take every tool that you get here in Bible college and every resource that's given to you and you have careful diligence to those things. Remind yourself that the moment you receive your diploma and you leave Golden State Baptist College, whether with a bachelor's or a master's degree, God has not called you into service to fill a space. God has called you into service to be profitable for him. God wants you and me to be profitable. 
apostle, not just to serve him. God doesn't, God doesn't call people, that's you and me, he doesn't call us to be like hamsters in a cage and going in a perpetual circle and going nowhere. He calls us to be profitable in our service to him. And so Jesus is talking to disciples here who had been around him. They had been trailing him for three years. They would watched him do miracles. They watched the healing of the blind. They watched the healing of the deaf. They watched the dead raised back to life. In fact, as we get to chapter 14... Fresh in their minds is the raising of Lazarus from the dead. I mean, they've got all these things in their mind. They've watched Jesus multiply loaves and fishes. I mean, we're talking about little barley crackers and fishes out there in the middle of the wilderness and feeding thousands of people, not just once, but twice. They've been with Jesus out on the Sea of Galilee, that great unpredictable body of water where the, the air currents and the heat currents and all that come together and storms can happen at any moment. And being in turbulent storms, the Lord delivered them. And they see the Lord do that. They've marveled under the marvelous teeth of the word of God as Jesus would rear back and open his mouth and such words never flowed out of a mouth of man like they did out of the mouth of our Lord Jesus Christ. And now they're at this crucial time when Jesus said that he's going to go away and they had gotten used to Jesus doing everything. You see, we get that way too. We get used to Jesus doing everything. We get used to Jesus being everywhere. We get used to Jesus being everywhere for everyone. And now they realize the baton was being passed to them. And now that Jesus wanted them to be successors to the work of God. And they felt like they were ill-equipped. They weren't sure what to do. And so we notice these disciples come to him. And Jesus in chapter 14, verses 7 to 15, gives them some great instruction about profitable service. You see the questions they had in their mind. You and I have the same question. How can we teach and preach with power? How can we perform the type of miracles like Jesus has done? How can we see lives impacted as Jesus does? I mean, these are real questions. And these are honest questions. They didn't want to be powerless. They didn't want to be status quo. They wanted to succeed in their endeavor for the Lord. And so to some, notice some things that Jesus teaches them that was just relevant in that time that is just relevant to you and me today too. Notice the first thing Jesus talked about as we, we look at this matter of profitable service. The very first thing he speaks about is about a paternal reminder. Notice, if you would, in verses 9 to 11, the disciples were still having trouble with, with correlating that Jesus and the Father were one and the same. They were saying, Jesus, show us the Father and will suffice us. They couldn't get in their minds for three years. He was representing the Father, that Jesus and the Father are one. They had separated God the Father and God the Son. And Jesus had to make very clear to them, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And he would make a statement like this, have I been with you so long and you have not known who I am? And they were just showing some sense of an ignorance of not knowing who the Father was. And so Jesus here gives them some encouraging thoughts. Notice in verses 9 to 11, he's encouraging them about the relationship of God the Father to the life of every believer. Listen to me, brother and sister in Christ. Thank God this morning, God is our creator. And thank God this morning, he's almighty God. And thank God this morning, he's the most high God. And thank God this morning that he's the God who never changes. He's from everlasting to everlasting. And thank God this morning, he's a God who's all-knowing. He's a God who's everywhere. He's a God who's all-powerful. But remind this morning, when you place your faith and trust in God's Son, Jesus Christ, the Savior, he's all of those things. But beyond all those things, he becomes immediately your heavenly father. He comes close to you and dear to you as a father who loves you. As an earthly father is to his son, our heavenly father is to you and I, and even much more so. You see, our heavenly father is concerned with your success in mind. And our heavenly father is concerned that we have a close and intimate relationship with him. You see, Jesus was bothered by the fact that these men had not grown in their relationship. They'd been following along, but they had been not been growing. Hey, can I ask you a question this morning? Please don't be offended by this. Are you just following along, but you're not growing? 
Are you following along and you're not getting closer? I mean, have you experienced the intimacy of our Father? One of the great thoughts about the fatherhood of God is found in Matthew chapter 6 when Jesus gave a model prayer. It wasn't the prayer we're supposed to pray, but it was a model for us. And that model prayer says, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and lead us not into temptation. And that prayer, though it's a, it's a wonderful prayer, was not meant for you and I to repeat that and make it a vain repetition as the heathen would pray. It was meant to give us a model and and the most important part of that is the beginning because it teaches us about the paternity of God. That God is our Heavenly Father. Listen this morning. If you're not saved, God is your judge. But once you get saved, He becomes your Father. Amen. I remind this morning of a Father who loves us. A Father extends His graciousness to us. The Bible says in Romans chapter 8, verses 14 and 15, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For you have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. And the word Abba, Father is a term of intimacy. It's almost like saying, Daddy, Daddy. Daddy, I can't wait to get, see you there. It's just saying, Daddy, I'm thankful for you. It's saying, Abba, Father. There was over in Europe, in, in the mountainous areas there of Europe many, many years ago. They had a very treacherous area where they had built these train tracks to enable people to travel hither and thither there. And this particular train, these people boarded knowing that this would be a somewhat of a very frightening experience for them. But the, the, uh, the train conductor had been very, very experienced. And here they started off from that, from that place. And as they did so, they started making through this winding, these winding routes. And they were going up and down. And, and it felt like sometimes that the train was actually bouncing off the tracks there. And needless to say, all the passengers there were fearful for their lives. And many of them were holding on to whatever they could to hang on for dear life because they didn't, weren't sure they were going to make it. And sometimes they would come around a bend as they did so. Some of the passengers on the side looking over the bend they look over and they see a cliff and they thought man i hope we make it there and then there'd be a sharp turn another way and they'd be looking like if they were going to crash into the mountains and so this went on for for a couple hours and of course the the the, the passengers were just very worn out and, and and just just exasperated by the situation and something very interesting happened they noticed that there was one girl about nine or ten years old sitting on the train who was laughing and giggling through all this and she wasn't bothered by the least bit by the by the turbulence that was going on there up and down up and down around the curve and finally one lady was a little agitated with the little girl. She said, little girl, why are you laughing and clapping your hands? How could you have such a good time on this train when the rest of us are scared to death? She said, oh, you don't understand. She says, I know the conductor. And she said, and the other lady said, well, we know the conductor too. We shook his hand when we got her. She said, oh, but you don't understand. I know the conductor better than you. The conductor is my daddy. And I remind you today, we may do go through the ups and downs in life. And we may hit a curve here and there. And we may look over the cliff and wonder if we're going to fall over. But aren't you glad this morning that your heavenly father is the conductor amen aren't you glad today he's the one leading us on and that's what jesus was telling them he's reminding them about a paternal reminder don't forget god is your father don't forget god is more concerned about your success than you are about your own success don't forget that he knows the very number of hairs on our head you say what if i don't have hair on my head he sees the roots of what the hair used to be amen He's, he knows the sparrow when it falls. He knows everything about us. He knows your very next thought. Hey, I'm just thankful this morning. We can say, Abba, Father, this morning. We have a paternal reminder. But notice Jesus now in verse 12 speaks about the principal requisite. Now, don't miss this part because this is the crux of the message. Those disciples really wanted to know, how can, how can I serve God with power? How can I have results in my praying? How can I say consistency of souls getting saved? And listen to me today, especially if you've been around this church for a long period of time. What I'm going to tell you this morning 
is our biblical principles right now. Biblical principles that can transform your service and my service and our results for God. And he talks about a principle requisite. Notice in verse 12, Jesus said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that heareth, he that believeth on me, the works that I do, shall he do also. And greater works than these shall he do, because I go unto my Father. Notice those words. Verily, verily is used a minimum of 25 times in the Gospel of John. Sometimes I talk to people who are, not, who are not familiar with the King James language and they get a little frustrated with the wording there. And they say, well, why do we have all these these and thousands and verily, verilys and all those kind of things? You must understand, going back to studying language etymology, verily, verily was a, was a wonderful way of speaking about a truth in fact. Verily, verily. In fact, the word verily, verily is we get a word amen from the same word verily. It just means the same thing. It's the same idea. And whenever you find verily, verily, you mark this down. When you read then the Gospel of John, you're, 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 the green light in your mind and everything about you should perk up because there's a promise associated with it. And there's a great Gospel principle associated with it to help you and I go from A to B, from you and I to go from home plate to first base and make all the way around and for you and I to win the world championship. And a lot of times we'll rush through the Bible in our reading and not grasp the fact that verily, verily is an established, trusted and true fact that God is giving to us. And you'll notice Jesus is going to start off by telling us about this, this principle requisite. How can we have power in our service? He tells us by introducing with the words, verily, verily, truly, truly, I say to you. He says, I won't want you to miss it. And when it's done twice, verily, verily, saying, listen, I don't want to repeat myself. What I'm going to tell you is truth. What I'm going to tell you is powerful. What I'm going to tell you is revolutionary. What I'm going to tell you is radical. What I'm going to tell you is going to change your life. What I'm going to tell you is going to change your service for God there. And so he says, verily, verily, he says, he that believeth on me. Notice in verse 12, the secret to profitable service. He that believeth on me. He wasn't talking to unbelievers. He wasn't talking to people that weren't saved. He was talking to men that were saved, exception of Judas Iscariot had already left. Judas Iscariot was not there in John chapter 14. He'd already gone out and uh, went out to go betray Jesus. We read about that in John chapter 13, just moments before. So he was there. He's talking to a saved audience. He says, he that believeth on me. The idea there is going further in your faith, going further in your death. Listen, thank God for saving faith. But God doesn't want you and I just stuck at saving faith. He wants us in serving faith. He wants us in sustainable faith. He wants us in powerful faith for his glory. And so we look at verse 12 here. He says, he that believeth on me basically saying you can say i believe basically saying two things write this down when you when he says he that believeth on me there's two things we find in this passage number one that we believe in his authority number two we believe in his ability listen if you don't believe in his authority and you don't believe in his ability faith will have no bearing in what you do for the lord here notice what happens here when you read this, you think, well, he says, if I have that kind of faith, I can replicate his works. And then he says, greater works than these shall I do. Watch this. Watch this. Look up here for a minute. Believing in faith is the prerequisite and the precursor to the power of God in your life. It's a prerequisite and precursor for the pouring out of his blessings. Because as goes your faith, so goes the power of God. Now use an example of that because there were men of God as we read it. Jesus is talking to Peter and James and John and Andrew 
And Matthew, who was formerly called Levi, he's talking to all these, these 11 apostles that are there. And he's telling them, he that believeth on me, the works that I do, shall he do also. And listen, those words started to build itself inside their lives and get itself deep down. And they were trying to like, get their grasp around this. And he, what he's saying here is, listen, I'm giving you a promise. I'm telling you something that's going to work for you. He's saying the supernatural God is going to work to you. He's saying the promises of God will never become null and void. The product that you'll have will be unlimited and without reservation. Oh, listen to me. This morning, we say we have faith, but then we have a plan B. We say we have faith, but we have a backup plan. We say we have faith, but we quit praying after one attempt. We say we have faith, but we're afraid to walk on the water. Listen, this morning, as Jesus spoke these words, we find this promise that God gives in verse 12, transferred over as we go through the rest of the Bible, which you consider this morning very quickly. Notice, Jesus said, the works that I do shall he do also, and greater works than these shall he do. Would you notice this morning, Peter had that kind of faith. And if all the men I would point to, if you told me, if you didn't tell me the rest of the Bible, if all I read was up to Peter there in John chapter 21, when he went back to fishing, I would say, I doubt that he ever got that faith. But Peter got that kind of faith. When Peter got that kind of faith, he believed on the Lord and his authority. And he believed on the Lord and his ability. Listen, 3,000 were saved through his preaching on the day of Pentecost and 5,000 more a, uh, a few days later. Peter had that kind of faith and obedience that led to the gospel being preached and given to the Gentiles. Hey, listen, Acts chapter 10, for you and me in this room, unless you're Jewish, Acts chapter 10 is a very significant passage of scripture because of Peter's obedience, because of Peter's faith in going to Caesarea to the house of a centurion. Listen, because of that, you and I are beneficiaries of that you and I are Gentiles that got to know Jesus Christ as Savior because Peter had enough faith to do that. Listen, Stephen had that kind of faith. If you go over to Acts chapter six, this is what the Bible describes as the biography of Stephen. This is what it says. Stephen, full of faith and the Holy Ghost. Isn't it kind of interesting by the leadership of the Holy Spirit? He didn't say Stephen full of the Holy Ghost and faith. They said Stephen full of faith and the Holy Ghost. Do you understand what I'm saying this morning? John chapter 14, verse 12. Jesus established a principle here for Christian service. Now, here's the reason why we're powerless. And here's the reason why we're impotent. It all coincides with your faith. What do you believe about his ability? What do you believe about his authority there? And listen, Stephen had that kind of faith. And when Stephen, listen, when the church recognized who Stephen was, and I believe he was in a, in a capacity as an associate pastor, as the church called him. Listen, Stephen came to that capacity. The Bible says that a great number of the priests converted to the faith. Listen, these priests had heard the gospel from Peter, and they'd heard it from James, and they heard it from the preaching of God's word from other members. But it wasn't until Stephen got there that then many that were converted to the faith. And we see there in that same verse, in chapter 6, verse 7 of Acts, that the number of the disciples grew multiplied greatly there. Listen, Stephen had that kind of faith. Paul had, Peter had that kind of faith. Hey, Philip had that kind of faith. Philip, during a time of persecution, went to Samaria. And how many understand? Samaritans and Jews didn't like each other. He went to Samaria by faith and a thriving church was started. He had such a faith that he obeyed the Lord and went in going out there to the, into the, to the desert area of Gaza for one man and a, a very, a very well-educated and a, and, a, and a man that was very wealthy from Ethiopia. He was a servant under Candace, the queen of Ethiopia. And Ethiopia back at that time was a great world power. And this man was coming back, having been down at Jerusalem, and someone had given him a scroll. Gospel got track passing back in those days. weren't little pieces of paper. They were big scrolls. How many believe that this morning, man? And they gave him a scroll. And he stopped there in the middle of the desert. He said, hey, everybody stop. i got to finish reading this. And he's reading Isaiah chapter 53. He couldn't understand it. God saw the sincerity of that man's heart. And God took Philip. 
who was doing a great work down there, the city of Samaria. Great revival was happening. People were getting saved. He uprooted Philip, sent him all the way out to the desert, Gaza, to, to lead a man to Christ. Philip didn't fight the Lord. Philip obeyed the Lord. Philip had faith that God was going to convert this Ethiopian man to Christ. And we're not sure what happened after that, but I think that Ethiopian man went back to Ethiopia and he probably influenced Ethiopia with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he went back there and he had greater faith and greater works because of that. Paul was a man who had that kind of faith. Paul's faith resulted in churches being started in Cyprus, Antioch of Pisidia, Iconium, Lystra, Derby, Perga, Philippi, uh, Thessalonica, Berea, Athens, Corinth, Ephesus, Troas, Malta. And then there were the works that fragmented works and went off there. Colossae was started because of that. And uh, other places like that. I mean, Paul had that kind of faith. He was a pioneer missionary. He was a man who had faith. Jesus said in John 14, 12, He that believeth on me, the works that I do shall he do also. Brother and sister in Christ, it boils down to this. We must have a faith that has absolute comfort and absolute confidence in the authority of God that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And we must have absolute confidence in His ability that He is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. That's what He's talking about there. The principle, the, the principle requisite for productive service is faith. We see the paternal reminder. We see the, we see the principle requisite. But notice something else. You notice in verses 14 and 15. 13 and 14, excuse me. Notice Christ tells us about the profitable results. We're talking about profitable service. How many feel like me this morning? God, do more with me. Amen? How many feel like me this morning? Lord, do more than you've ever done in my life. Give me unusual capacity by which, God, you can pour out your blessing and, and things can be changed. Notice the ways that every Christian can grasp what Christ says here. Notice these profitable results. Notice first one, verses 13 to 14. This is, all goes together. First, the first profitable result is the abundance available through answered prayer. Let me tell you this morning, there's one thing everybody can do in this room. Everybody in this room can pray. Everybody can pray down God's power. Everyone can see God work through us in prayer. And Jesus made this statement, which goes right along with what he said in verse 12. And he said, whatsoever you shall ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Would you circle two words found in verses 13 and 14? Would you circle first of all the word whatsoever? And would you circle in verse 14, anything? He means that in the context of serving God, in the context of, of, of the work of Christ, he gives us two words that stand out that requires our faith whatsoever and anything. Listen this morning. Look at verse 13 and 14 again. Prayer involves faith in his authority. We must pray in Jesus name. Years ago, I was at a conference and. The man didn't mean wrong. He was preaching from John chapter 17. He was talking about the great high priestly prayer of the Lord Jesus Christ. Great chapter. But he made an erroneous statement that was not doctrine connect. He made the statement which affected a lot of preachers and graduates out of this particular Bible college. He made the statement. He said, well, I don't see why you need to ask in Jesus' name. You just need to pray. Well, excuse me. John 14, 13, 14 tells me, whatsoever you should ask in my name, that will I do that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you don't ask in Jesus' name, you have no authority in God. We have no authority. And some people go around with this hyper Protestant attitude thinking that, well, that's what Protestants do. That's why we're Baptists and not Protestants. Amen. And he said, well, this Protestant attitude, we could just pray like this. And I don't care what the books say. You need to go back to the Bible, what the Bible says about prayer. And the Bible says, what's we should ask the Father in my name? It's in his name. Listen, the, from the rising of the sun to the going down of the same, the Lord's name is to be praised. We must believe in the authority of his name. By the way, we must believe through his name in order to be saved. Because the Bible says in Acts chapter 4, verse 12, neither is there salvation in any other. For there's none other name given among men under heaven, whereby we must be saved. We must believe in his 
his authority. I reminded the story I may have told recently about the son of Abraham Lincoln. His name was Tad, little boy. And it was during the height of the, of the Civil War during that time. And a soldier had requested a leave of absence so he could be home, to go home to be with his wife who was diagnosed with a terminal illness and her life was ebbing away from him very quickly. And the family had written the soldiers. They got word to him and said, soldier, you need to get back home as quickly as possible. Your wife is going to pass away any time now. And he'd written letter after letter. He'd gone to superior after superior. He got his way all the way to the top general. Nobody approved. They said, sir, we need you on the battle line. We don't have enough soldiers. You need to be out there. Well, that soldier had a day off and he was down there in Washington, D.C., and too far away to go home to be with his family. And he was sitting there dejected and feeling very forlorn and discouraged and had his head in his hand sitting there there by the White House. And uh, the little boy, Tad, who happened to play on the White House lawn and was playing out there, he saw this soldier with his hand, his head in his hands. He went up to him and said, soldier, are you okay? And the soldier kind of looked at the little boy and thought, what, what can you do for me? He says, really, soldier, are you okay? And he noticed that the countenance of Tad Lincoln was just very cheerful and didn't know this was Tad Lincoln. And finally he looked at him and says, no, he says, things aren't okay. And so he said, down next to the soldier. He said, soldier, can you tell me what's going on? And he just felt just a kinship to that soldier that moment of time and the soldier vice versa. And the soldier, yeah, you know, my, my wife is dying and I need to go home to be with her and I can't get a leave of absence. No one will give me permission for that. I don't know who to go to. I want to get to the president. I've tried to get up through the White House doors, but they've pushed me away. They told me I have no access there. And Tad immediately just stood up. He grabbed the soldier by his jacket, moved his hand down to his hand, took him by the hand and he started walking up. Now I don't know about you, if a little kid comes to me and grabs me by the hand and walks up, I'm worried about where the kid's going to lead me. Amen. I don't know if they're going to lead me to a vending machine. I'm not, I'm sure they're going to lead me to something that's bad. I don't know what's going on, but the kid took him by the hand and Tad Lincoln just started taking the way. He made his way all the way up to the stairs of the White House. Two soldiers were there. They said, you can't enter. Tad said, get out the way. I'm the president's son. And the, and the soldiers said, you're who? And he made his way through there. He started knocking the door. A couple more soldiers came. It's at the office of President Lincoln. And these soldiers tried to push Tad away and the soldier away. You can't come in. I don't care. You're the son. Finally, with all the commotion there, President Lincoln opened the door and he was a very tall stately man with glasses that went down to his nose. How you understand someone has glasses down to his nose? He's somebody important like that. Amen. And so he was pretty important there. And so his glasses were down to his nose. And he said, what is going on here? And Tad Lincoln said this, dad, father, this soldier needs to see you. Can I bring him in? He looked at the other soldiers and he said, gentlemen, step aside. Tad Lincoln brought this soldier in. President Lincoln went and sat behind his desk. Soldier went up to his desk. He's shivering. He's thinking, how did this little kid bring me into his presence? He says, soldier, Tad is my son. Tad's brought you into my presence. Can you tell me what you want? The soldier told the president that he needed a leave of absence to be with his wife. The president took out his pen and immediately wrote an order that says, this man can have a leave of absence to go home to be with his wife. Hey, aren't you glad that's what Jesus does when you pray in his name? Aren't you glad that's what he does when you pray in his name? I'm just saying we must believe in his authority. But notice we must believe in his ability. He that believeth on me, the works that I do, shall he do also. And greater works than these shall he do. We must believe in Jesus' ability. Ephesians 3.20 Not to him, that's Jesus Christ, that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us. Listen, prayer involves believing in his ability. But prayer also involves believing in his availability. I'm thankful today God doesn't go on vacation. I'm glad Jesus is not here one moment and gone the next. Hey, thank God this morning. He's here at every moment of the day waiting for you and I to bring our request before him. The Bible tells in Hebrews 4.16, let us therefore come boldly before the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. There's the abundance found in answered prayer, but very quickly, would you notice John chapter 15, verses 7 and 8. 
There's the abundance found in the winning of souls to Christ. Because you've got to connect chapter 14 to 15 to 16. It's all one discourse from Christ. Yes, Jesus wants us to have power through prayer. But Jesus wants that power in winning souls to Christ. And he tells us in John 15, verses 7 and 8, Lotus, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will. Notice, and it shall be done unto you. Here does my Father glorify that you bear much fruit, so shall you be my disciples. And the phrase much fruit correlates with verse 16. Because notice that same chapter, verse 16, you have not chosen me, but I've chosen you and ordained you that you should go and bring forth fruit and that your fruit should remain. The whatsoever you ask of the Father in my name, He may give it to you. I'm just saying this morning, God promises when we have that kind of faith, faith in His authority, faith in His ability, we have, we have the promise for answered prayer. We have the promise of the abundance of souls being saved and God influencing lives. Hey, how many of you felt this week as God worked you that God used you to influence somebody this week and God used you to influence somebody in the past several days? I'm saying this morning, He talks to us about this matter of great service we can have for Jesus Christ here. But notice very quickly, we need to move down would you notice one last thing this morning faith believing gives us a peaceful serenity faith believing gives us a profitable service but as we close this morning would you notice faith and believing gives you and me a perpetual certainty what do you mean by that pastor fong what i mean by that's what i started off this service with you know for sure you're going to heaven. And Jesus starts off in chapter 14, verses 1 to 6, talking about heaven. He tells us here in chapter 14, verses 1 to 6, how every person in this room can have 100% certainty that heaven's your home. Would you notice some things very quickly he tells us and then we're done? Would you notice first of all in verses 1 to 3, he tells us that heaven is a residence. He said, what kind of places? It's a residence. How many of you make this statement? You've been long, you've been away from home for a long time. You say, I can't wait to get home. Amen? I can't wait to get home. Okay? When I travel a little bit, my, my, my line is after about three or four days, I can't wait to get home. Home is where you feel at peace. Home is where you feel like you just can't wait to get back. I mean, I don't know about you guys. Maybe some of you guys are okay. I don't sleep well in hotels. Ask my wife. I don't sleep well. I don't care how good the pillow is. I don't care how comfortable the bed is. I just don't sleep well unless it's my own bed, my own pillow. How many feel the same way tonight? Amen? Okay? I mean, that's how you just can't wait to get home. There's nothing like home cooking. Amen. Okay. There's nothing like just my wife's cooking, my mother's cooking, whoever may be. Just thank God for home cooking. And Jesus talks about heaven being a residence. Look what he says. In my father's house are many mansions. Well, listen. God has all these residences, these mansions, because he wants you to be part of it. Free real estate. How many believe in that this morning? Amen. Go try to find free real estate in California. It ain't going to happen. Amen. Free residence, free homes. You see those signs out there? Cash for homes. I got a better deal. You get a free home with heaven. And my father's house are many mansions. And notice what Jesus said. If it were not so, I would have told you. He said, I'm not lying to you. I go to prepare a place for you. Jesus, the moment you put your faith in him as Savior, he, he gets out his carpenter hammer. He puts on, he gets out the wood. He gets out the plane to, to kind of level things out. And listen, you can hear the sounds of heaven. He's starting to build a mansion for you and me. And the moment you and I breathe our last breath in this life, listen, that mansion's completed, ready for you to enter in. Because he'll say, welcome home, my beloved servant. It's a residence. It's the abode of God. Look at chapter 14, verse 23. 
excuse me, chapter 14. Oh, where's it at here? Notice verse 28. He said, you have heard how I said unto you, I go away and come again unto you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I said, I go into the Father for my Father is greater than I. And now I've told you that before it come to pass, that when it's come to pass, you might believe. Here in all this context, he's saying the very same thing. Notice verse 23. If a man love me, he will keep my words and my Father will love him and we will come unto him. Notice, and we will make our abode with him. Circle the word abode. The word abode is the same idea of my Father's mansions. It's a dwelling place. Heaven's a home. Heaven's the heavenly city of God. Heaven's the place where you'll spend all of eternity with God. Heaven's a residence. But notice verses 1 and 6. Heaven has a restriction. He said in verse 1, you believe in God, believe also me. He said in verse 6, notice he says here, Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. Now, I don't want to offend anybody here today, but you know what he's saying here today? Believing in God only is not going to get you into heaven. The demons also believe and they tremble. There are many people who believe in some form of a deity. Believing in God in most situations is a casual, uninformed, uh, you know, ignorant idea of who God is. What he's talking about here is coming into an intimate relation with the Lord. You study chapter 14 and look at the word know and known. Progressively, if you read the words know and known, he's talking about growing deeper in our relationship. The starting point in relationship with God is receiving Jesus Christ as Savior. Christ is saying in verse 1, you believe in God, you must believe also me. You must believe that I'm Christ. You must believe that I'm the Son of God. You must believe that I died for your sins. And then in verse 6, notice he says there, I am the way. There's no other way. I am the truth, and I am the life. That means if he's the truth, any other way is false doctrine. Any other way is not truthful. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He says, I am the only one that can give you perpetual life, eternal life. This in heaven has a restriction. You can't, listen, if you, if you believe in God only, you can't enter in. If you rely on a religion, you cannot enter in. If you rely on good works, you cannot enter in. If you rely on a tradition like just getting, getting in baptismal waters, that won't get you in. The only way you can get in is through a faith alone in Jesus Christ. Heaven is a resonance. Heaven has its restrictions. But notice in verses 2 and 3 as we're done, heaven can be reserved. Heaven is a reservation. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. Listen, that's personalized. He's preparing a place for Brother Denny. He's preparing a place for Brother Justin. He's preparing a place for Pastor Fong. He's preparing a place for every single person. He's preparing a place just for you. And he says, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive into myself that where I am, that you may, there you may be also. So how can I get to heaven, Pastor? Number one, you must believe that you're a sinner. And your sin will send you to hell. Number two, you must believe that Christ died for your sins. All your sins. And He's the only way. He's the only one that can save you. You must believe that He's God who came in the flesh, who died for your sins and mine. That He rose again from the dead and overcame death, sin, and Satan when He rose again from the dead. Thirdly, you must have faith and say, Jesus, I take you this morning. To be my savior. I read a true story about. A little child. A boy. Who was battling with some chronic. Respiratory illnesses. And his breathing became very labored. And very hard. The doctors did a series of tests on him. Over a long period of time. Finally the last test they did. The doctor came in with a grim look on his face. And came to the mother. And said ma'am I hate to tell you this. But your little boy has. A rare form of lung cancer. If you're the mother, that just rocks your world and just sends you upside down. 
And the first thing she said in her mind, well, is there anything you could do for him? The doctor dropped his head. He says, ma'am, so much time has gone by. We couldn't make this proper diagnosis till now. She said, the best we can do is help make your son feel comfortable as best as possible. You want to stay here in the hospital. We'll have a place that you can stay. Of course, that was very hard news for the mother to receive. She was a born-again Christian. She knew the Lord. And she told her boy from the moment he was born about Jesus and told him about the Lord. And she remembered a time and place where it was just a simple childlike faith. He called on the Lord and said, Jesus, save me from my sins. Of course, the boy's days went by. His breathing became more labored and more difficult. And it was very challenging for him. And sometimes he'd start crying. The nurse would come and say, oh, ma'am, wish there was something we could do. We'd give him all the medicine we can without, without it causing other trouble there. And they, she said, you know, is there anything we could do? She says, no, he'll be fine. And every day the mother would hold her son very close to her. Finally, one day she started talking about, she said, you know, the day's going to come. She just got over her insecurities and she says, the moment's going to come and I need to tell him about the Lord and get him ready for to meet his master one day, to meet his creator, meet his savior. She started telling him about heaven and she told him about how wonderful heaven was. She'd read to him John chapter 14. In my father's house are many mansions and I go there to prepare a place for you that where I am, there you may be also. And she made this statement to, to, to her son over and over again. She would say, one day, son, when the time comes, you'll hear the bells ringing. And when you hear the bells ringing, you'll know it's time and there as that boy continued to his condition got worse and worse and worse you could see the mother pulling him closely one day a nurse came in it was probably a day or two before the boy would leave this life and enter to eternity the nurse came in and she was trying to make things easier for the mother and the boy and she heard the boy just singing off to himself and and she thought it's kind of unusual he says he should be in a lot of agony pain and he was saying something like this mama mama i can hear the bells ringing i can hear the bells ringing I hear the bells, mama. I hear the bells. And so the nurse came in. She thought because of the medication they were giving him that he was becoming delirious. And she said, oh, he must be delirious because of the medication. And the mother said, no, she's not. Delirious. She said, yeah, he must be delirious because he's saying he hears the bells. I don't hear any bells. Ma'am, do you hear any bells? She said, oh, you don't understand. My son is saved and my son's going to heaven. And I told him that you can hear the bells ringing when it's time you're going to go. And that boy kept saying, I can hear the bells ringing, mama. I can hear the bells ringing. I can hear them. The bells are ringing, mama. The bells are ringing. Heaven's very close. And the day came. As he, the Lord would take him home, the very last thing from his mouth, with the weakness that he had, he said, Mama, the bells are ringing. I can hear them ringing. Mama, I'm going home. I wonder this morning, can you hear the bells ringing? I wonder this morning, are you ready to go home to be with the Lord? If you're not, today is the most important day of your life. Today, somebody that loved you brought you to church because they wanted you to be 100% sure you're going to heaven. Church membership won't get you to heaven. Baptism won't get you to heaven. Leaving, living a good life won't get you to heaven. Giving all the money away to, to a church or charitable work won't get you to heaven. Only one way to heaven. That's faith and belief alone in Jesus Christ to save you from your sins. This morning, Jesus talks to us about believing. Faith will give us a peaceful serenity. Peace uh, faith will help you and I to have profitable service. And faith this morning can help you to have a perpetual certainty. You can be certain heaven's your home. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes in prayer. I want to talk to Christians first because it's late. Christian friend this morning. Don't you long in your heart to have profitable service? Don't you long in your heart to see consistency of answers to prayer? Do you long in your heart that I bear much fruit and that your fruit would remain? I would say this morning, Pastor, God spoke to me this morning about that kind of faith, about a faith that believes in Christ's authority and Christ's ability. Pray for me this morning that my faith will be great in the Lord. You'd say this morning, as a child of God, pray for me this morning. I want that kind of faith. Who'd raise your hand with me this morning? Pray for me that I have that kind of faith. 
surely more people than that would say, God, give me that kind of faith. I would say this morning, Pastor Fong, I'm not 100% sure I'm saved and going to heaven. Three got baptized this morning, not because baptism would get them to heaven, but because they already trusted Christ and know that heaven's their home. And they received Jesus Savior. Their baptism was an outward testimony to Christ's their heart. And I wonder this morning, if you're not truly saved, you're not sure you're going to heaven. I'd like to invite you today, right where you're seated, to call on Jesus Christ to be your Savior. You can pray this kind of prayer right where you're seated right now. You can pray this, say, Dear God, I confess today I'm a sinner who needs to be saved. I believe that Jesus, your son, died for my sins and rose again from the dead. I accept Jesus now by faith to be my Savior and my Lord. Thank you today for saving me, for the gift of eternal life, and making me a son of God. Now, I wonder this morning, is there anyone here today that would say, Pastor Fong, I just prayed that prayer with you to ask Jesus to be my Savior. You'd raise your hand and say, Pastor, I just want you to know, I prayed that prayer and asked Jesus to save me. Anyone here today? You say, I've just called on the Lord to save me. Anyone like that? Is there a man or woman, boy or girl, that say, today, I just prayed that prayer and asked Christ to save me. I wasn't sure before I came to this service I was saved, but I just prayed that prayer and asked Christ to save me. Anybody else this morning? Anybody else who raised their hand and say, I've just prayed and asked Christ to save me. Anyone else this morning? Don't be ashamed. I'm here to help you. I want you to be sure you're going to heaven. Anyone else like that this morning? And we're going to give an invitation. And our altar workers here are here to pray with you and to love you and to help you to know for sure you're going to heaven. They want you to make, make sure that you have profitable service for the Lord. Please don't delay. Jesus said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that believeth on me, the works that I do shall he do also, and greater works than these shall he do. Don't you want that? Don't you want that kind of profitability in your life? Come this morning when we give the invitation. Don't delay. Come this morning. Father, today, you've heard the heart cry and the prayer of your people today. Some, Lord, this morning need to know for sure they're going to heaven. Help them not to delay. Help them to open their hearts door and trust Christ this morning. We give this invitation time to you now in Jesus' name. Let's stand. And with your heads bowed and eyes closed, piano's playing. I invite you to come. Maybe you brought somebody with you today. Why don't you take them by the hand and say, listen, let's go up forward and let's have a word of prayer. And you're not sure you're saved. How about we show you? Someone here can show how to be saved. Would you come this morning? Christian friend, isn't there a gnawing inside of you to have greater service for God? Don't you want to see more answers to prayer? Don't you want to see more people trust Christ? Let go of your pride. Let go of your ego and say today, I want that kind of faith. To believe in his authority like the Bible says. And to believe in his ability like the Bible says. Would you come this morning? You have unrest in your heart. Your heart's filled with trouble. It could be that you need the faith, Jesus said. You believe in God, believe also in me. Your heart's troubled. Hey, he's the source and the place for peaceful serenity. Come this morning, would you come? Now, Father, this morning, take the decisions made as we dismiss and uh, go home to rest this afternoon. Help our hearts and our lives be recharged. Give us a wonderful service tonight. Thank you for the service we've already had. May you be glorified. We'll thank you for all these things. In Jesus' name. Amen.